0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: So I think I know everyone, except if I haven't met you yet, I'll come and see. I'm looking forward to meeting you. I'm so glad you're here this morning, bright and early, dark and early. It's still a little dark out. Um, And uh, if you don't know, I'm one of the ministers at the Advent, and I'm the director of women's ministry. And in preparation for this program here, as I was praying and discerning about who would come and speak to the women? And I always ask Gil Crackey uh, because he often will know the Lenten lineup by the summertime before the Lent that is going to happen. And I'll often ask him for the spring and say, okay, Gil, who do we have that's coming through? And when he told me everyone who was coming through, I, it was a no-brainer for me. I just knew that we needed to have Justin come and speak to us as women. Um, yes, he is. He's one of those men who really understands women. He is married and has 3 daughters, is that 2 daughters? But I'm sure sometimes it might feel like 3. But he um but <laughs> But he's also, um, he's written so many books on theology and church history. So he's so grounded and rooted in the gospel and in scripture. But then he also is so aware of some of the things that we as women deal with that, um, that men don't deal with. And some of really some of the heartbreaking things that we as women deal with. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity to hear from him. Um, so I'm so excited to have him here. He's a great friend and a great leader in our church um, for these days. So um, so, Justin will be up in just a minute, but um, I just also want to announce, while I've got your captive attention, that we do have another event coming up in August, it will be our next big event. August 24th through the 26th is our Women's Retreat. If you haven't ever come to the Women's Retreat, I want to encourage you to make make an effort to come this year. You're going to enjoy our speaker. Um, our speaker is going to be Mary Zoll, and she's going to come and speak. Yeah, no, know, isn't that great? <laughs> She's going to speak to us on listening to God, listening to others, and listening to ourselves. So it's going to be a great time of fellowship and learning, a time of fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with each other. So don't miss out on that. There will be more news to come about that um, soon. 24th through 26th. Yes, August 24th through the 26th. We all start taking <laughs> 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 We're going to have to tomorrow, I think. <laughs> Word we'll is out. I know. Well, I, we'll do the save the date, but we probably won't till after Easter at least, but um, it'll take a little bit for Anita to get that set up, but yeah, stay tuned. Yes? I'm getting off on. Oh, yes, of course. Um, well, so with that in mind, let's uh, give Justin a warm welcome.
0: Good morning. Good morning. So the plan is for you all to be out of here, or be done by 7.45, right? Because you guys like each other. No, no, I'm, I'm just giving you the heads up. I'm not I'm not complaining, I'm good. No, no, I'm, I'm just letting you know um, that, you know, just so you can kind of plan what's happening. So we're looking at like, you know, 20, 15 minutes of me, and then also some Q&A if it pops up. Feel free to um, dive in if there's any comments or questions to us along the way. Um, and so thank you for the opportunity to do this, and um, I mostly, uh, well, I like my mom, so that helps. I have a sister, uh, that helps. I'm married to a woman who, the reason we've written the books we've written is because when we were dating, she was working at a sexual assault crisis center, so we would go on dates, and I I was teaching at the University of Virginia, and I'd tell her about some class I was teaching and grading papers, and then she would tell me a horror story about going to the hospital to do sexual assault uh, crisis intervention advocacy work. And then when we got got married, she became a case manager for a domestic violence shelter. Uh, So we've written books on sexual abuse, domestic abuse, and child sexual abuse prevention. And so those are three books we've written together. So when we go together, like, at a dinner party, (laughs) and it's hilarious because people are like, You guys write books. Tell me about that. Are you spirituality? What is it? We're like, abuse. And we (laughs) go into it. Um, As you know, um, from either personal experience or the person next to you or someone in your family, the the levels of, the, the prevalence of abuse is through the roof. One out of four women and one out of six men are or will be victims of sexual abuse and i'm one of those guys so i kind of get it i remember when i was uh i think i was 10 or 11 it was an extended family member um so i'm one of those six but if you think through that i mean the either it's it's basically for every human it's either them or someone in their family that they love deeply Um, but i'm also not here to talk about just the and, and one out of one out of uh, five women and one out of 20 men are or will be victims of domestic abuse or inter- uh, intimate partner uh, abuse. But I'm not only talking about the extreme deep end of suffering. That's, that's, uh, it, what ends up happening is we hear about those stories and we go, well, whew. That's like the varsity version of suffering. I only have like JV suffering. (laughs) And then we start kind of doing this spectrum scale on suffering as if the suffering that you're experiencing, if it's not that, doesn't count. And so I want to make sure the uh, one of the, and this is how like just pain works. One of the worst things you can actually experience is ongoing chronic low level pain. That's what will actually drive you into a darker depression than intense pain. And, and so, um, the the kind of uh, distorted self-image pain that lurks for decades that'll grind you down. Uh, the pain of fractured relationships can grind you down. So I don't want you know. It's helpful just to kind of have a sense of okay, this the speaker guy kind of gets that experience that would be miserable. But it's not just the the deep end varsity version of suffering. It's everywhere in between. It's the sense of failure you feel as a parent. That was a big one for me. I have an impulse of being a, uh, a shaming, um, since it's recorded, I will edit myself, <laughs> jerk. I can default to seven and nine-year-old girls with shame or a look at my, they can't even, they pick it up, they're like, what's that look for? And I'm like, they're calling me out on it. <laughs> and and it, I apologized once to them and now they expect it all the time. I've trained them. so. Um, Wherever that sense of disgrace is, is what I want you to connect with. Because I want to connect the dots between the grace of God found in the personal work of Jesus and the disgrace that we actually feel throughout life. That's the key for us. And (coughs) there's a quote from J. Gresham Machen that's really helpful for us, I think. Jesus is our Savior, not by virtue of what he said, not even by virtue of what he was by by what he but by what he did what that saying is yes Jesus is God but his being God uh, is helpful but that's not the that's not the point in the middle of our suffering what we need from our rescue and his teachings were marvelous but it's not just his great teachings about you know what the christian life would look like or being a disciple it's by what he did in his perfect life death and resurrection so he's not our savior and, and Jay gresham machin is um he's he's like the most orthodox evangelical gospel-centered guy like he's the guy he's like the grand papa of gospel theology so when he's saying this he's not like a closet liberal who's trying to undermine you know the work of jesus jesus is savior not by virtue of what he said not even by virtue of what he was but by what he did So what I want to do is just look really briefly at the ministry of Christ in the ways that we experience disgrace. So in the ministry of Christ, we actually have um, his incarnation, so there's solidarity in our suffering, his perfect life, which brings us righteousness, his substitutionary death, which is what most people focus on, which is a good thing to focus on, his resurrection, which brings triumph and victory over our enemy, his ascension, where he is now currently, like Our ministry with Christ is that he's the ascended Lord who intervenes and mediates. and or inter, He's our intercessor, advocate, and mediator right now. And then he's coming again. So he's going to bring justice. There's a whole lot in the life and ministry of Christ that we miss out on because we only focus exclusively on cross and resurrection. Let me tell you a story about how this works out. There's a woman that I did pastoral counseling with, which is a big difference, (laughs) because I'm not a therapist, but she had one of, she had a pretty, pretty intense story, and the first time I met her, I, the one point I just wanted to make was, you were sinned against, it was a crime, and you were sinned against, because she was telling me her story, and she said, well, I know I'm forgiven, and I said, well, you're forgiven, sure, but you don't need to be forgiven for that. (laughs) That was a sin and a crime. So I actually went and just got the law. I mean, just read the law to her. And I was like, just to show her, it was, you know, someone made it, committed a crime against you. And then I said, that's also a sin. She got so angry at me, and the response was, I've never had that response. Usually people kind of go, oh, finally someone called it what it was and acknowledged it. And they kind of just, there's, there's comfort in that. She got aggressive, <clears throat> and she was at a point where. Um, she couldn't actually talk to other people. She would actually write in her journal. Our, our sessions would last three hours. She would write in her journal and read me chunks from her journal and not make eye contact. There was that much shame and pain going on in her life. So when I when I said, you didn't do anything, she looked up and said, don't take it away from me. Okay, what do you mean? What's going on here? Like, I don't understand. I'm, I'm clueless. And she said, <clears throat> uh, the cross and resurrection is where there's grace of God in the forgiveness of sins. It's great theology, right? That's what we want to hear, right? (laughs) In the cross is forgiveness of sins. And I need the grace of God for the pain that I'm experiencing. So the only way I can plug into that is by the forgiveness of sins. So she had to transform, because the work of Christ, the work of Christ is so multifaceted. There's a guy named Herman Ritterboss, He's an apostle Paul, scholar on Paul talks about cross and resurrection is the very center of Paul's theology. But there's all these other things that Jesus actually did, this incarnation, uh, his perfect life, his coming again. There's other parts of the work of Christ. Well, she only had this, the bullseye, and it is the bullseye, cross and resurrection, the bullseye. She only had that. So she had to turn her experience into a sin for which she needed forgiveness so she could kind of plug into the grace of God. Does that make sense, what she was doing? Did I explain that clearly? Okay. So what happened when I started telling her, you don't need forgiveness for that, I basically unplugged her from the grace of God, and she was just kind of left floundering like, "Whoa, how do I get the grace of God? Because she only had that one lane. I said, Jesus did a whole bunch of things that apply for this. That's what I want to talk about here is, absolutely, cross-resurrection is the centerpiece of everything, but there's other things that he did that I think are helpful for the ways that 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 we suffer because of our sin or someone else's sin. And let's unpack some of these. One of them is uh, distorted self-image. It's also known as low self-esteem, but distorted self-image sounds a lot more um, honest. <laughs> low self-esteem sounds like, I don't think I'm special enough. And it's way more than that. And I think this is a central issue for a lot of people Uh, not just those who have suffered abuse. And the the kicker here, uh, for those that have a distorted self-image, for me, anecdotally from just pastoral experience, it's the perfect life of Christ that brings his righteousness. We believe that our sins have gone to Christ, and that's where we're forgiven because uh, he's paid the penalty for our sins, right? But he also lived a perfect life. And his perfect life is attributed to us. We're actually called righteous and pure and perfect. And so it's the act of obedience. So on the scheme, when I started telling her about the perfect life of Christ, wherever that, I'm just pointing to A level here, but the perfect life of Christ, I was like, you feel, how do you feel about yourself? I feel filthy, disgusting, stupid, broken. She went through the list. I mean, make your list. I can make mine. I have a leadership coach, you know, something, since I do leadership development, my leadership coach went through my profile and he was like, Justin, man, your, your understanding of your need for encouragement is about as high as it could be. You know you need encouragement. Other people think you don't need anything. Like, you present like you don't need... And he's like, which is good because you're not like a needy leader going around going, encourage me, encourage me. So the bad thing is, is you basically think that you suck all the time. i was like, yeah. He goes, well, how, that's not livable. He's like, I need you today to go tell your wife and your boss you need encouragement. i was like, okay. So, I mean, <laughs> this is the next thing I was going to do. He's like, just pray about it first, man. I'm like, chill out a little bit. Um, he's like, but, but think, I mean, all the way down to that, like the... Uh, the way that we hide our sense of need of just basic encouragement. Well, why do I need that? Because there's another voice, a self-critical voice, that's always going on. The voice of condemnation. Um, in in uh, in kind of pastoral care therapeutic world, there's uh, the there's a thing about positive self-statements. Have you heard about these things? It's the I'm, I'm smart enough, good enough, and people like me. That kind of stuff. <laughs> If you have low self-esteem or distorted self-image, you're supposed to um, assure yourself with positive self-statements. So what you do is you find, if I feel ugly, you tell yourself you're beautiful. I feel stupid. No, you're smart. If I feel unaccomplished, you've done important things. You, you kind of just tell yourself things that you need to hear. Positive self-statements, there's, this is not Christian research. This is just normal psychological research. Positive self-statements don't work for anyone except for one group of people. And it's
1: narcissists,
0: (laughs) because they actually believe it. Positive self-statements actually are uh, horrible, because what they do is they spike your sense of self-worth, and then after you get a little jolt, it's like getting a caffeine jolt, and then you crash, you get your little caffeine jolt, you get a little emotional boost, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm the only person saying this to myself. And it actually plummets you down into a deeper sense of discouragement because you realize it's a homemade ritual. And so there was a, there was a book that was in this therapist. It was just kind of like the aha at the end of the book on distorted self-image. And they said, Take, get a mirror and get some post-it notes and write down the opposite of what you feel about yourself. Beautiful. And put it around your image. Smart. Accomplished. Just make the list so it's like around your image. And then I want you to look yourself in the eye and then look to that word and look yourself in the eye again. And just go back and forth. And that was the big aha. That's the same thing. All that does is reinforce nobody else is even saying this to you. You're so pathetic that you have to say this to yourself. And you're the only one saying it. Counter that. Now, that's sad, but even the best that you could come up with is smart, accomplished, beautiful, clean. Think of what the Bible calls us, if you're in Christ. Pure, perfect, holy, righteous, without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. That's way better than something you could make up. (laughs) That's That's scandalous. We're like, well, what are the words that the New Testament uses for you in Christ? Pure, pure, perfect, righteous, holy, without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. And the reason we say that is because of the perfect life of Christ. It's not his cross. His cross gets us forgiveness. His perfect life, where he fulfilled the law of perfection and righteousness, gets given to us. It's attributed it's it's into our identity account. Uh, so for the distorted self-image, wherever you have it, I want you to see that you are called what Jesus actually was. And we, that's way better than whatever your husband or daughter or friends can tell you about. That's important. <laughs> I still need to go tell my boss and wife how needy I am for encouragement. Uh, but the bigger encouragement is not only what I would say to myself, what someone else would say to you, but what God has said to you because of the ministry of his son. That's distorted self-image. Let me give you another one, which I think is powerful for, um, I've seen that has been powerful for women and also powerful for men. It's very similar, but different expressions of it, is shame. The the way shame works out is uh, it's been called the hemorrhage of the soul. It's suffocating and exhausting. Um, And it's usually, shame frequently goes along with sins that have been done to you. You can feel shame, usually... When you commit the sin, you feel a sense of guilt. And when sin's done to you, some of that sense of feeling defiled actually is more of what the Bible would call, and others would call shame, how shame actually works out. So think of the ways that you've been sinned against, betrayed, lied against, violated in any way, words, deeds. um. The Bible uses three images for shame. Being outcast, think of Adam and Eve in the gardens, where it starts. So you're naked, there's a vulnerability, there's the nakedness, Adam and Eve naked. And these are all categories, not just of Adam and Eve, but throughout the Bible, the Bible uses these images for shame. Naked, dirty, and outcast. When the Bible talks about shame, so Adam and Eve were naked, and they weren't, they weren't filthy, but they were kicked out of the garden. And all throughout the Bible, this is, these are the ways that the Bible images how shame works itself out. And what we, what we have here in the incarnation of Christ, taking on the human condition, being a substitute with the great exchange of, I'll give you my righteousness, you give me your sin, is that Jesus experienced all of these in his life, and especially his crucifixion. Jesus was stripped naked as he was nailed to the cross, he was covered in his own filth. I mean, the, the image of the cross—we can make it really nice looking. Is there one here? Um, there's one out there. That was really—it's a powerful one. But if you think about what really happened at crucifixion, your body—I mean, you have you have bodily fluids all over you. You have people throwing garbage at you. So he's naked, dirty, and they crucified him outside the camp. Jesus basically took on all of the effects of shame so we could then have all of those changed. So because our experience is naked, dirty, and outside the camp, Jesus said, "'I'll take your nakedness, I'll take your filth, "'and I'll be the outcast for you. "'In exchange for that, "'I'm going to clothe you in my righteousness, "'I will clean you by my blood, "'and you're now adopted into the family of God.'" So all of the images, and, and the shame, when, when my wife and I write and talk about shame, shame was the hardest one to actually um, talk about. Because we couldn't figure out how the Bible actually talks about it. And then finally I saw a, a Christian uh, therapist talk about shame and gave us these three things. And, and he just said the Bible talks about it in these ways. And I was like, I couldn't help but think that's what Christ experienced. And so the work of Christ in his death, but also in his ministry... Um, When I read Passion Week, we're we're leading right up to it next week. Is it next week? Yeah. (laughs) Man. Um, When when people who have been sinned against in significant ways hear what happened to Christ, it's been really powerful watching them kind of go, oh, he does get it. Because they can, many ways that an abused woman have experienced being humiliated, betrayed by people that you that said they were going to be there for you, physically harmed, emotionally harmed, spiritually harmed, psychologically harmed. They'll read that and go oh. So it's that's in his suffering. Wasn't in his crucifixion, but in his suffering in life where there's a point of contact. Another one and, and last one. Just to and I want to see if there's some questions or thoughts from you. And we can do this with guilt and despair and denial. Another point for us is anger. Um, many people, I was talking to my dad, and he just I said, How you feeling about something? He said, Anger. I just need to really I need to deal with that. I said, Why? Well, no, I'm not supposed to be angry. And he knows the Bible, and I said, Dad, Ephesians commands you to be angry. Your anger's not a sin. Uh, revenge, that's the sin. Anger, that's just an emotion. That's not a sin. The Bible actually says in, in Ephesians 4.32, be angry, but in your anger don't sin. Uh, so one is when people are sinned against, uh, anger is its really helpful to realize that God's actually angrier than you are about the sin that happened to you. Uh, so in general... Um, when you think of, I mean, think of—I mean, the Mona Lisa. One of my friends told me this. The Mona Lisa has been attacked four times in, in its presentation. It had spray paint, and someone threw a rock at it. Someone threw a mug at it. I can't remember the fourth time. And uh, the masterpiece of the Mona Lisa had been disgraced. And the the art lovers and curators of the museum went back and restored it. But they were also frustrated that someone would attack this beautiful piece of art. That's kind of the image that God has. You're the Mona Lisa and God's going, who defaced you? We'll fix it, but this is angering. God's response to the sin done against you, even by other Christians, is anger. (laughs) And it's helpful for you to know that, that you can actually participate in God's anger at what's been done to you. Now, anger and bitterness are different. Now, bitterness is, as I forgot who it was, Maya Angelou, someone cool who said... Bitterness is drinking poison, hoping to kill the other person. That's bitterness. That's the stupid stuff. <laughs> Anger, that's completely fine. Jesus was angry at sin when he saw he saw uh, he saw someone who had a physical ailment, and his response in the gospel text says he was furious, and he responded to the guy as everyone thought he was angry at the guy. When Jesus was actually angry at the 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 the, the suffering that this man was experiencing. Um, and so what happens is, is realizing that in his return, um, he brings justice. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord, is the other one that's really... Important. Vengeance being God's, if he's angrier than you are, and he's the one who actually has the, the prerogative of uh, his holiness in judging we can actually get off the hamster wheel of revenge. And it's not a shallow, oh, just let it go and just forgive him. Just It's not like a shallow forgiveness. This is actually a sense of, well, apparently my good father in heaven's got this one covered. It's his holiness that's been violated. And also I've been violated, but he's angrier than I am. And yeah, he's also merciful and just, and he'll do his work with them. But that frees us up to actually... Um, Let it go, but not let it go in a shallow sense. Let it go in the most robust, deep, kind of, because of the character of God's sense, we can let it go. So the return of Christ is another place. We have the life of Christ. We have the return of Christ, where there's actually a sense of um, uh, how the ministry of Christ actually um, uh, undergirds us in our moments of of disgrace. So I want to, 746, I want to stop here and see if there are any... um, Questions or comments, and then if there's, we, there might be some stuff afterwards also. You might not want to say it in a, in a group setting, but I want to be sensitive to time. Yes? Can I say get the first one that you talked about distorted self-image? About? Uh-huh. Because um, it's almost like maybe
1: she felt like she was living this perfect life, and she may even comfort
0: her faith of that incident, mm-hmm. either because a lot of times people come to faith she they did wrong or they were wrong, so I mean, how did you resolve that with her? Well, you nailed it. That's exactly what happened. So I was basically taking her faith away from her. And it, it, now, the sad part was that she'd only been given forgiveness of sins. There, Jesus. I mean, Calvin and the, Augustine. I mean, the the Christian tradition has talked about. He's prophet, priest, and king. As priest, he was the high priest who offered the best sacrifice of himself. That's the priestly ministry of Christ. But he's also a prophet who brings the word of he- the powerful word of healing. He's also king who triumphs over our enemy. And so I just had to expand. And I said, hey, Cal- she loved Calvin. I said, hey, Calvin talked about prophet, priest, and king. Your favorite author, Mike Horton, talks about prophet, priest, and king. August in the Christian tradition the Bible talks about this so i'm not i'm not undermining anything here about gospel centrality but you need to know that Christ is also the victor over your enemy which is satan sin hell death and the grave he's done that through the cross you can actually put these back together again uh, he romans uh, revelation revelation 5 he's a slain lamb a sacrifice where's the slain lamb on a throne it the bible puts together uh, substitutionary sacrifice and atonement with victory puts them together. He he triumphed over evil. Colossians two or Colossians five. He triumphed over evil by nailing it to a cross. He triumphed with his cross. And then uh, Hebrews does the same thing. It actually blends. So once I, I showed her that, I freed her up a little bit, and then we just had to unpack it. We basically went through. I went through uh, denial and minimizing. So I had to talk about the solidarity of Christ. He gets it. You don't have to. You don't have to minimize your suffering. He actually he gets the suffering. He's more sorrowful for your suffering than you are. So we went through denial and minimizing, and how the work of Christ plugged into that. We went through distorted self-image, and how the work of Christ played into that. We went through shame and we went through anger. The two I didn't go through. Um, I, I didn't go through denial and minimizing, guilt because we know that answer. But she, we're also get. We frequently sin in response to the ways we've been sinned against. And so we still need, the one who's been sinned against still needs to hear the word of forgiveness because um, I'm sinned against, and so that brings shame and some other things, but I also will sin in response. And so I need to hear the word of forgiveness. So guilt's still a thing. Just You're not guilty for being sinned against is always the thing I'm repeating. And then the, the last one is despair of we, we talked about just the, the blanket of darkness that she was experiencing and we had to talk about resurrection cross, the, you know, the cross wasn't what she needed for her despair, I mean the cross in the most specific sense it wasn't, she needed resurrection, she needed that God punches holes in the darkness that not only just darkness gets some light but death, like the, as Freud, the summary of Freud is the mother of all fears is death even death gets dealt with by Christ. If death is dealt with, all other fears tumble in their wake. And so we went through; we kind of just unpacked, and the whole time we were we were swirling around cross and resurrection because we kept on coming back to it. It's not cross or resurrection; it's it's always cross in life. Cross, and it's, it's all of these together. But it's it's like what hook are you going to use? You're like, okay, we got five hooks and you know four pieces of clothing. Well, my shame needs. The life of Christ hook. My despair needs the resurrection hook. And so it's kind of what hook are you? And every time I've done this, I do this in seminary classes, and we'll do it for like three hours. We'll go through the life of Christ, and I'll go through and say, hey, what are ways that we've experienced disgrace, and what's in what way does the life of Christ do it? Every time I unload it and just kind of go free for all, I'll get another idea. This isn't it's not a formula by any stretch. It's kind of like. What I'm hoping to give you is the life of Christ, you know, the, the the full life and ministry of Christ and what He's done, and the ways that we've experienced disgrace. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, the matching game when you know med students and other students are like, okay, I've got this school, this school, this school, this school, and then the schools are picking these people over here, and you kind of see which one matches up. It's the same thing, if very similar. I'm like, here are the moments of disgrace in our life. Just make the list. And here's the ministry of Christ you know incarnation life death resurrection ascension and and, uh, coming again and it's like here's this moment of disgrace this one needs this and this but this one needs this and this I want you to I want to kind of open up the the possibilities of um, how you can plug in to the grace of God there's multiple outlets and your disgrace that you've experienced, you could plug it into one of like five different outlets, but there's an outlet for it. There's a way to plug into the grace of God that's not only causing you to think, well, I guess I need some good news. My sins are forgiven and I'm declared righteous. That's the foundation and that's the heartbeat. That's justification. Your sins are forgiven and you're declared righteous. Yes, but he's coming again and he's bringing justice. And he calls you what he is in his perfect life. And he gets it in solidarity with suffering because he had a human body and he was fully human. All of those other things are added to that good news. Yes?
1: Um, kind of related to that understanding of Christ's righteousness and also that vengeance isn't ours. How would you encourage the church not just to get rid the abuse? But in handling those perpetrators, especially if they're in the church bodies. so how do we balance that trust in God's sovereignty and justice while also understanding our responsibility?
0: So, I when I was I when I was a pastor of a specific location, we had uh, registered sex offenders, and where we were, we had three levels. Um, every state has different levels. In level one, they could be around children if they had oversight. Level two and three they couldn't. So we actually just um, we would have them check in with us and a few times, if once every few months, and we had three, they'd come in they had to find a pastor and go check in. And so I'd check them in. You can just see the shame of, you know, they have to go sign in to go to church at this point. They forfeited freedom by what they've done. And so uh, and they, I've talked to all of them, and they, they were repentant, and uh, I'd I repeat to them and say, hey, just so you know, I'm like, this is your table, too. It's the Lord's table, but you're at it. You're in his family. Um, so I, I just reassure them. And I, would, I frequently um, uh, talk about... Because uh, too often, abusers get the Scarlet A. Now, it's because the recidivism is so high, especially domestic abuse. And, and same thing with child sexual abuse. The average perpetrator has 120 victims. So recidivism is huge. There's not much. They, they have not earned just group trust. Just grace of God, absolutely. Forgiveness of sins, absolutely. And if we need to, we'll do the extra step and bring communion to you. Or at one group, we actually created a small group of a community around that person who were his friends and said, he can't come to church, but we can go to him. And so you'd do a small group and we would bring communion and we he'd listen to sermon, we'd find a way to do it. So you have to keep on saying that, but you also, what happens too often is in churches, you know, we actually have a theology of sin. It's amazing that churches are actually the, I was like, if we just paid attention to our theology of sin, you think we'd be the more, in a, the more vigilant organizations. The church is the worst place for this because we go, oh, well, let's just be nice and, you know, think the best of each other. I'm like, why are you thinking the best of each other? <laughs> you should be thinking the worst of each other if you've actually read what the Bible says about us. But especially the creepers who actually got caught, like, they don't get the benefit of the doubt. So grandpa who abused children, he's forfeited the right to ever be around his grandchildren alone ever again. And so that, that but that's, there's, you can, there's still, it's not uh, justice or grace. I mean, just the reality is you forfeited the right to have that privilege. But are you forgiven? Sure. Is it possible to restore relationships with those you've sinned against if they want to? Um, there's, people kind of go, okay, well, you can forgive someone. You can forgive someone without them asking you. I can do that. I had to do that. I had to forgive someone and then years later told them they were forgiven. You can forgive someone. If they repent and ask for forgiveness, you can reconcile as brothers, sisters in Christ. Restoring the relationship is always on the table as a possibility if the person who was sinned against wants it. Wants it. And so what happens is too many people want to move straight to restoration and go, well, that's the proof that you've actually forgiven is that you've restored the relationship to how it was. No, it's not. It's the, the fact that you haven't restored it is a sign of their intelligence and wisdom. That's not the lack of spirituality. So the, we're called to forgive. That's what we're called to do. Forgive as you've been forgiven. doesn't mean forget. Time doesn't heal all wounds. That's all make-believe stuff. Okay. Um, you forgive. You're not going to forget. You're not holding it against them. Okay? But you forgive them. If they do their part, reconciliation can take place. There's people I'm reconciled with that I don't talk to. I'm like, I don't trust you. Now, um, how that works out is always, or I've seen full restoration take place. That can happen. But um, So restoration is, not the, is the hope, but never the expectation for the, the burden of the person sinned against. Them. And what I've always felt, I've never had to bring up forgiveness to anyone who's been sinned against. Every Christian has heard, you better forgive. you better." So the weight of expectation to forgive, Christians are feeling that one. I know I need to forgive. I'm like, we'll get there. I, I'm usually pushing it back a little bit, saying, hold on a second. <laughs> Let's explore how we've been forgiven so you actually have fuel in the tank for when you get to, I need to forgive as I've been forgiven. Let's, so I'm usually slowing down the forgiveness talk to get to the other stuff because people are like, they feel like they have to get to the forgiveness line really quickly because that's what God expects from them. But yeah, we'll, So um, that's helpful to know also. So. One more
1: question. Can you speak on shame versus false
0: guilt? Yes. <laughs> um, there's not much difference between shame and false guilt. <laughs> so, But what happens is um, uh, illegitimate guilt is usually how most people experience shame they transform shame into guilt that's the move that I want people to to be freed from is uh, so um, I'm sinned against and th- what I think happens is sin the way the bible talks about sin is defilement now you can actually defile yourself with your own sin but the language used when someone's when you're sinned against is also defilement not that you're damaged goods, but the way sin works is sin is a defiling type of thing. So what I think people are experiencing are, is just the defilement that comes from how sin works. The logic of sin is uh, sin is the opposite of the image of God. We as images of God, God are called to create other images of God and expand the images of God all around the world. Well, sin does the same thing. It makes evil in its own image. And it just, it, so the way sin works is it kind of contaminates and defiles. And so I think people are experiencing is the defilement that comes from sin and because most of their experiences the defilement that comes from their own sin I think that's the category they have and they go well I know this feeling it must be guilt. And it's not. And there is a good shame. There's a shame that comes there's a good way of how shame works that comes from the sins that we've committed. Like I feel that's, that's actually guilt I think. I think I think that kind of simple not simplistic is because of the sins we committed we have guilt and need forgiveness because of the sins committed against us we feel shame and need something else but we conflate the two so much and that's because our sin and suffering some people come in when I talk to them they come in talking about the sin that they've committed and we'll talk about that but then I end up trying to unlock a little bit and go well how are you suffering also either because you're creating your own suffering from your sin or in what ways have you suffered that somehow are feeding into the sin that you're doing? So I try to I try not to separate sin and suffering. I try to put them a lot closer, bring them closer together for the person and go, okay, you came in with sin. Let's talk about that. What else what ways have you suffered? I'll get to that and I just don't ask them straight up. But how have you suffered? Or if they come in with their suffering, um, you can get to how the sin is kind of lurking. They they're they're united and they're together, and so I get why people blend it. They do sin guilt and shame together because that's just the human condition, and we don't we don't separate our emotions that way. And so I think the similarity of emotion muddles them all together. But that's where being pretty precise and saying no, you were sinned against. You don't need forgiveness for that. Like just. There is a point where you just need to say something like that, but separating the two is helpful.
1: And I see so many people with false guilt that should not be there. It's like they can't separate themselves. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's a divorce that they feel, yep. I did, I've been forgiven, all this, and then yet they still hang on. And profess a, they just, they can't get past. And
0: so I call that false
1: guilt. Yeah. Because it's
0: not... Is it, something that, is, it something, is it a sin they've actually been forgiven for or something that yeah. they're turning... it yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some people... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Some, some people are martyrs. And they also... So there's a little bit of that going on. Some people are doing that out of spiritual performance because they think that they need to kind of perpetuate that, hey, I'm really sorrowful. It's like, no, you can just move past that one. It's okay. Like, he's already forgotten. Let it go. Um, there's a little bit. There's, I think there's different things playing into that that's on how, either how they do spirituality, how they do relationships. For some people, their need is how they relate with other people. So that taking that away from them takes away a, a pathway for intimacy. And so there's, there's something else there that they're, they're using that to get something else out of it. Or the voice of condemnation is that strong and they need to be reminded, nope, there's now no condemnation. And so there's a few things playing into that.
1: I'm going to ask you, this is a good one. Don't you want to stick around and um, if you'd like to stick around and ask Justin more, or excuse me, Canon Holcomb. More, fine. <laughs> more questions, mm-hmm. you, please do. If you'd like to have someone pray for you, even after hearing this, if this has brought something up, feel free to ask. Justin to pray for you. I'd be glad to pray for you. I know our host, Shirley Ann, would also love to pray for you if you want prayer right now before you go to work, which is totally understandable. And finally, before, um, before Justin prays for us, and I'd love for you to pray us out and bless us, um, even as you already have blessed us. But there are his two books that he's written, the one on domestic violence and the one on uh, healing from sexual assault. Basically, I'd encourage you to find these online or at our bookstore. We, we have some at our bookstore, but they don't sell very well at the bookstore. So go ahead and buy them online. <laughs> or if, if hearing this sparks something in you right now for you or for someone else very close to you and you need to read it today, I have a copy for you at, at the door on that side of the building, and I want you to just take it. If you, if you if this is for your third cousin that you're going to see in three weeks go buy it online mm-hmm. if you need it today for you or someone very close to you then go get it right there no questions asked but please do consider um, calling me I put my card in there call me and we can talk about it we can read it together Amen,
0: Justin. the Lord be with you
1: and with thy spirit
0: let's pray holy and gracious Father we thank you that You're both. We thank you that you're holy, and what that means for us, that you protect us, that you are holy and fight against Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave, and that you are going to make all things new, and you are making all things new. We thank you that you are gracious, that you're the God whose property is always to have mercy, and thank you that in your graciousness you cover us in protection, You remind us that we are accepted as your children, that you have made a way for us to hand off our sin to someone else and receive the wonderful gift of life and righteousness. Would you fill us with your spirit so we can remember your son for who he is and what he's done. And please burrow the good news that you have one in your Son into our hearts and minds, that we would remember this and that we'd feel us illuminate this so we can make connections in our own lives in the middle of our sin and suffering of the provision that you have made for us. And we pray these things in the name of your Son who gives us access to you, uh, no holds barred, where we can go with confidence in uh, knowing that we'll always receive mercy from your throne. In, this, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more
1: at adventbirmingham.org.